Here we go. Uh, welcome to Tips Not Included, where we talk all things hospitality. Today on the show, we got Max Roberts. Uh, it's a hyphenated last name. Oh, snap. I apologize. <laughs> all right, all right. Max Roberts. Bristow. Bristow. There we go. Uh, bar manager at Poquito uh, Cafe and Cocktail Lounge. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Cafe bar. Yeah. Cafe bar. Yeah. A uh, little bit of everything. One of the best places that you could definitely check out in Wellington. Yeah, this is your host, Giovanni, hitting you up all the way from Wellington, New Zealand. Uh, welcome, dude. Cheers. No, thank, thank you for having me. No worries. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say congratulations again on uh, Outstanding Bartender of the Year. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Feel it towards? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a, a very fortunate um, little surprise. I definitely was not expecting to, uh, <laughs> to win that. I was out to win another award of, like, maybe most drunkest person there. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a humbling thought to know that the hospitality community, you know, noticed you and the hard work you put in behind the bar. But everyone that was nominated deserved, deserved that award, and there were so many people that weren't nominated that also deserved that award. So yeah, it's that it's interesting because I, I I haven't been in Wellington for very long, but for the time that I've been here, I've heard your name come across in many ways. Obviously, all of them positive. You know, um, <laughs> I've <sure>? had the. <laughs> The privilege of being able to, like, you know, come to Poquito a number of times throughout my time here, through Otis, through Dan, through a number of different people, and I've been fortunate enough to be able to, you know, be on the other side of the bar with you and just kind of, like, you hosting and just kind of, like, making some sick cocktails, so I appreciate that. Um, Obviously, I don't know in depth the bartending community in Wellington, I'm sure you do, but I'm sure that they all kind of came together with the same type of, you know, mindset and what you offer and what you bring to the table is pretty pretty dope oh cheers yeah well that's the thing the international bar community is huge especially in the world of cocktails um, everybody knows each other and have come across in competitions so cities get really especially the cocktail vibe in Wellington gets really close knit if any time a new bartender starts at one of the other cocktail bars we instantly know who that person is and they've been Facebook stalked and chatted about it's a very close community <laughs> wow it's like you know they know what you wear about yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you just moved here on a work holiday visa you got a good rapport <laughs> you started at the hanging ditch I don't know yeah. for example just throw names out there and all of a sudden like Oh, what's up, Billy? Wait, how do you know my name? Yeah. Oh, wait, um, I don't. Pleasure. What's your name? <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing, we get messages from other bartenders that know us through competitions and things like that saying, hey, old mate's coming to Wellington, like, you should go and chat to him. He's an awesome guy. If you can hook him up with a job, that'd be wicked. And like, sure enough, like, the most recent addition to Hanging Ditch, that, oh, I got a message about him before he landed in the city. Wow. <laughs> Like uh, that, yeah. It's just it's quite a common thing. It's very, cl- it's a very close knit community. The cocktail, and so it's very everybody knows each other, everybody connects and networks amazingly in every every competition and or bar week or bar show or something like that. That's yeah. pretty dope. And the, the the awesome thing about that is that, I mean, I feel like hospitality, specifically in the back of the house, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of like drive and trying to be the best. Would you say that that is reflective within the cocktail? community as well especially within Wellington for example uh, yeah I, this this is really dependent on where you go in the world um, Wellington the community is very supportive um, we always have been very open and giving and want we're happy to answer questions and teach the younger bartenders like this is how hospitality should be and this is what whiskey is and this is what unique infusion or fermentation product I'm doing at the moment um, it's a very supportive community. So although like we have uh, bartenders that stand out, they also bring stuff to the table to help bring up 
um, the other the rest of the bar community. Take for example Dan um, Dan from Crumpet um, has kickstarted the uh, Foresters Face Off competition, which I think is an amazing concept. The idea was to get younger bartenders that have never entered a cocktail competition comfortable enough to enter a competition around their peers to hopefully push them forward to enter some of the bigger competitions. Um, and that, that, now Dan's an amazing bartender. He was one of the other nominees for the, um, for the Outstanding Bartender Award. Um, it's things like that. Like Although we, you know, each individual person works hard and stands out, we also find ways to kind of support the younger community and bring them up. Where other cities, I'm not going to name which ones. It's going to, yeah. Let's really say that yeah. not everywhere is the same. Yeah, not, not everywhere is the same. Not some of the some of the more notable bartenders that have done things for New Zealand um, in the cocktail world haven't necessarily acted, or in my opinion, acted the same way as help bringing up a younger community. They haven't paid it forward. Yeah. Which you should, I feel like, you know, it's it's a process, like, it's such a broad spectrum in terms of like cocktails. You know, we're we're talking about where each spirit is its own artistry. Mm. So for you to come up the bar scene and just kind of expect to know everything, you know, throughout your early mid to late twenties, it's just not entirely feasible for everybody. Mm. Obviously, and then not everybody kind of like turns the corner and discovers your passion right away. Yeah, you kind of like fall in love with it as time goes by. Yeah. You know. Maybe you started at a Mexican cantina and yeah, the quality of product that you worked with was amazing, but then your knowledge is not necessarily limited, but it's highly just tequila, mezcales, you know, those kind of like type of cocktail bases, you know, very specific. But then you have other bartenders who focus more on the whiskey side. You have other people who are focused more on the rum side. Some don't even deal with cocktail making, you know, it's more on the bar, uh, on the beer scene. So it's just kind of like how you get into the scene and how you come up and how not only you go about learning yourself, but how do the people around you, you know, teach you and pass on that information is also yeah. incredibly important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's interesting to watch, especially amongst the community um, Wellington, because I, I don't want to say it's clicky because it's not, we all know each other, but it's... But there like, is politics within hospitality. Oh, absolutely. But it's interesting to watch the, the little communities that develop. Like, uh, obviously, I've been very cocktail specific in what I've been saying so far. But you know, like the beer community knows each other. You know, the wine community knows each other. The Courtney Place community <laughs> knows each other. Yeah, and you get this interesting little like click of um, different bar groups. Just you know, that <laughs> are all in their own little worlds because they, you know, they because they compete against each other. Well, I mean this in the nice way. Business-wise, you know, they all get to know each other. You have to compete. There needs to be a drive. Oh, exactly, yeah. I mean, Wellington's a really funky city. I mean, we've got, what, 208,000 people with the highest average medium income per capita in the entire country and supposedly have more bars, restaurants, cafes per capita than New York. So That's it's insane a, if you think about it. Yeah, <laughs> it is an incredibly competitive industry, which has drive, uh, driven the standard up quite high, which is awesome. But, yeah, you know, I think in some ways it's also being also has a bit of a negative impact because you see businesses open maybe last a year close I've seen one business last a grand total of six weeks and a lot of cash was put into that place yeah and yeah businesses that have been around for years closed and then no businesses opening because of it it's just a very competitive industry yeah, yeah I mean and the reasons behind that could be you know 
looked at, whether it's developing real estate, whether it's mm-hmm. gentrification, whether it's just the immense amount of people that have moved into the city and the cost of living has gone high mm. up, you know, and it's, it's sometimes poor management or just your mm. restaurant bar just falls out of trend. It's yeah. no longer trending and people are not into this anymore. Oh, and there's so many factors. That's yeah. something that's, you know, that's the reality of hospitality and, you know, the bar scene and the restaurant scene where you kind of like, you're either part of it or you kind of see your way out of it in a yeah, way, yeah. which is sad. Mm. You know, there's a lot of effort and creative aspect from a lot of different people putting time into a space and all of a sudden, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It's only a year in and then you're kind of closing the doors, mm. which kind of sucks. But how do you like, how do you put yourself in the best position to kind of stand out or at least put not only yourself but put Poquito on the map in a way like look we might be a cocktail bar like Hawthorne and Hanging Ditch and Crumpet you know but this is who we are and you won't find this anywhere else yeah I mean this was um, this was a, a a thing I tried to sit down and find out when I first took over the bar manager role of Poquito because I wasn't given that opportunity to re- rebrand I had to take what was already a struggling business because no one knew the bar side when I first started it was always known as a cafe the owners had this their first time ever in hospitality they've worked in corporate for years they had a bit of cash behind them and basically said you know do what you need to do have fun just turn a profit and so you know that's that's what we did and the harder the first thing that I had to do was put in basic simple rememberable service. Poquito is obviously a Spanish name. Yeah, it's a little bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the way I always argued it was we're small in size and a little bit Spanish. Um, but it, because the word Poquito is not English, a lot of Kiwis or even British people won't instantly remember that name. So I had to make sure that that name became a, a thing. Like, have you gone to Paquito or wherever you're from the UK? It's always an S on the end of it. Have you been to Paquitos? <laughs> yeah. Um, so the first thing I put in was the stamp serviette. So everybody that walked through the door got a stamp serviette with a glass of water on it. Branding. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay, and then the branding moved to the menus, to the wine glasses, to the aprons, you know, because it had, I had to get that name out and about. And still, like, I watch people answer their phone at the bar and be like, I don't know where I am. <laughs> Still to this yeah. day. So they probably were led there by somebody. Like, oh, yeah. let's go to this bar. Oh, look, it's cozy in here. Let's go just yeah. jump in there. And so, like, I'll, I'll walk, I'll discreetly walk past when I hear that point to the serviette, the apron, the menu. And I'm like, oh, I'm Poquito. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. And, because, and that was the thing, because we had such a diverse cocktail culture at the time. Um, so I had to kind of identify what was going to be unique about us how we were going to differentiate from the other cocktail bars and how we were going to last longer than two years because ideally you have to play the long game with hospitality you can't expect to open and just be busy and you can't especially when we had the, didn't have the option of rebrand i had to put in consistent measures that we're going to build over time so eventually we became like this little hidden secret, we didn't advertise, we just slowly grew our bar, we slowly grew our regulars, we slowly grew our community, and sure enough, now that's really turned around for us, you know, it took a couple of years, but it just, we had to just slowly just keep chipping away at growing this, this regular based community. And sure enough, you know, like I, d- I did things to kind of start, like promote the brand, you know, I'd enter competitions, I'd 
because you know if I did well in the competition, that promoted the bar name. Of course. Well, You're a product of the bar. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and my career grew with that bar as well. I mean, we would never. The intention was never to become a cocktail whiskey bar. <laughs> just kind of happened. It just kind of happened. Cocktails we were always going to do. Um, we're a tiny bar, and you need a high average spend per customer to survive. We can't get away with doing two for ten dollar vodka rebels. You know, we don't have the economy of scale to, to match that. So we um, we had to get a high um, average spend. The whiskey thing was just a thing that just kind of happened, and. Well, we ended up being named one of the top six whiskey spots in Wellington with six whiskeys in the bar. So we had people coming in asking for whiskey. And you only have like barely a handful. Yeah. So what, what happened was, is we had, um, if you come across Concrete Playground, it's an online magazine based in um, Wellington, Auckland, Sydney and uh, Melbourne. And the guy, this was maybe within the second month, I just started as bar manager at Paquito and this guy came in and he goes I'm from Concrete Playground and I'm looking for one of the best whiskey spots and I was like oh okay look man so I'm really sorry like I've only just taken over as bar manager I'm not too sure which way we're going to go we've only got four whiskeys in the bar at the moment four or six whiskeys he's like oh okay that's a shame and I was like yeah I was like, do you actually know what you're talking about when you go into these bars he's like man I've got no idea about whiskey but he's doing an article on it yeah and I was like oh okay okay, okay. Sit down. So I like poured him a little taste of all the whiskey and pulled through this horrendous um, explanation of what whiskey was. I just remember pulling facts out of my ass that just, to this day, I don't think they're real. <laughs> <laughs> you fake it until you make it. Yeah. And um, anyhow, he goes away, he's stoked, and sure enough, we make top six whiskey spots. And then we had people coming in asking for whiskey. Because we got noticed this, this whiskey bar, and I was like, "Oh, yeah, uh, I should probably get some whiskey in." <laughs> and, yes, you should. <laughs> yeah, and it thus started this obsession um, of, "Oh, what should I get in this week?" And then I, I was well aware of the Japanese whiskey allocation. Ah, um, oh, they're so good. Yeah, and it's a very competitive getting those products, especially the Suntory line of Japanese whiskey. Um, Centauri were, well, Bing Centauri were being distributed at the time in New Zealand by Pernod Ricard, which is a really weird setup if you think about it. Pernod being the second biggest distiller in the world, and Bing Centauri being the third, and Pernod's distributing Bing. Made a really confusing um, system in Wellington. Um, and then I, I managed to be tipped off that Coca Cola were going to take over the distribution of Bing Centauri, which I thought was going to be hilarious, and it was. Um, having Coca-Cola reps trying to sell you Maker's Mark was an entertaining um, conversation. Were they knowledgeable about their products as oh, much as... No, oh. no, 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 of course not. You <laughs> mentioned someone that sells juice and fizzy drinks every day coming in to try and sell you bourbon. And then they're trying to get Coca-Cola in your bar at the same time and you have to have the kind of like, oh, so you'll probably get two or three bottles of Maker's Mark and maybe three, ca- three cases of Coke. I'm kind of like, no, no, it's the other way around. We move more bottles of Maker's Mark than we do cans of Coke. <laughs> and like, oh, okay. The whole reason I signed up with Coke was, and I wanted to develop a relationship with them, was because I knew that Bean was going to be start to be distributed by them. And I wanted to be on the Japanese whiskey allocation. Because Japanese whiskey comes to the country once per year, and it's almost already pre-allocated to venues before it gets to the You, to the you wanted to be ahead of the line. You wanted Absolutely. to be like right yeah. there. Yeah, so I, I fought my way onto this um, onto this list of bars that 
could be viewed as potential buyers of Germany's whiskey. Um, I particularly focused around the Centauri, right? So we're thinking Yamasaki, Kushu, Hibiki, you know, of the bigger of the brand names. Um, and yeah, so like I had to go through and prove that we could sell whiskey. So we got Ensign in this activation, um, selling six different whiskies. was Highland Park, Orkintoshin, Ardmore, Connemara, Lefroy, and Vermont. Those are very... Yeah, good list of names right there. Yeah, yeah, and it's the it's the, the basis of being Centauri's um, product line in New Zealand. And so we had to go through two months of just activating and selling off this whiskey, and we ended up doing okay with it. So we got offered a unique allocation of Lafroigs where we could buy, um, which were the fifteen, the eighteen, the triple with the law. I think yeah, excuse me, I think that that's what that was it. And these are whiskies that no one had seen before in New Zealand. And people had only ever seen the 10 for quarter cup, uh, 10 a year in quarter cast. So I was like, yeah, let's go, we'll buy these. Yeah, absolutely. It was a very expensive purchase. I did get in trouble for it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, then started this obsession with Lefroy. I was like, all of a sudden, I was like, man, we've got the biggest Lefroy section in Wellington. I was like, I wonder if I can continue to grow this. And at one point, yeah, we had 11 different Lefroy's on the shelf. And it just started this obsession with peated whiskey and whiskey and just, yeah. And the Japanese whiskey allocation came in and I keep growing other little pockets and other brands got interested and next thing I know I've got 100 whiskeys on the shelf and I was like okay look at that yeah. you go from four to six whiskeys gentleman from Concrete Playground knows yeah. two shits about whiskey in mm. your bar you school him next thing you know it you're sitting down with a Coca-Cola rep who was trying to offer you Coke yeah. you know and you're like nah man I need more Maker's Mark I'm yeah. sorry <laughs> And, you know, you go from an unknown bar, no branding, cafe, and next thing you know, you got a hundred whiskeys on your yeah. list. And, and this was the thing I started to realize, there was no other bar in Wellington that had a, had a whiskey list. Uh, Hugo's attempted to open um, at a terrible location. Good idea, but terrible location above establishment was probably not the best location for a um, whiskey lounge. Um, but yeah, it just ended up coming up. And sure enough, like it's done really well. I mean, we've I've got a 10-pack booking tonight for a whiskey tasting. I've got another 10-pack booking on Friday, 10 to 12 people. Whiskey uh, tasting as whiskey well? Whiskey tasting. And then I've got a stag day on Saturday for whiskey tasting. And now you have flights as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and this is the thing. We've got like all of these, we've now skinned these regular bookings, which is, you know, it's a great sale for the bar. And it's my passion as well. I get to just sit and rant on about whiskey. But <laughs> it's amazing how, like, this this opportunity, like, you know, obviously you went in there not knowing what to expect as a bar manager. Yeah. You know, just trying to, like, do your best to be able to put these people's investment and showcase them the best of your ability. And obviously you've done more than, than just that. You've exceeded expectations. But now you along the way accidentally became an ambassador for whiskey within your own city and country. Yeah, yeah. Which is nothing, that that wasn't your goal. No, it wasn't. It just became a thing. It became this obsession and it, I tell you, it's paid off for me. Like, I've been lucky enough to be flown to Scotland to drink whiskey off the basis of that. You know, I spent four nights on Isla, which is this tiny little island on the bottom western coast of Scotland with it's just a powerhouse of peated whiskey. There's nine distilleries on this 30 by 40 kilometer island. Nine or 10, I always always count because Arden Ho is the newest. And, um, yeah, and I, was, I, was, I remember sitting in the Bamore distillery, which is just on the coastline. Bamore is like the unofficial capital of Isla. Um, drinking, you know, 
limited releases of Bowmore whiskey, and I remember sitting, and they've got floor-to-ceiling windows that look out across the uh, coastline, this beautiful little bar, and drinking Bowmore 15 year, which I've always loved. And I was like, this is this is awesome. You this get, is unreal. <laughs> yeah, and you have Margaret in the background, who's the distillery manager's wife, like going on about this and the other thing. Lovely woman, and then discreetly drops in that, you know, her favorite, all-time all favorite wine is Brancott Estate Sav, which is a supermarket wine here in New Zealand. And just being like, this is a weird culture shock. <laughs> this is not exactly how I expected it, but yeah. this woman's ranting about how she loves wine from New Zealand. Yeah, well, yeah because Marlborough Sav is massive over in, in the UK, but just to hear what is just a typical supermarket $12 bottle of wine for us, Coming from luxury for her, yeah, uh, yeah, which is would be twice the price for her. It's just it was a weird concept, but also an amazing thought. It's like, wow, this is this is where I come. <laughs> it's one of those things. I mean, I've always, always I've, I was always told that your favorite wine or my favorite wine or the best wine is the one that you like. Yeah, there's oh, no there's no yeah. best in line yeah. and show for it. And then obviously she she mentioned it, but dude, that sounds like sounds like a surreal experience to be honest with you. Yeah. You know, it's something like I can't even. I, I mean, I don't know. It sounds very like James Bond, like kind of like excuse me very much. I can see you with the suit and tie, maybe like <laughs> just kind of like you know all swaggy and just kind of like, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, Margaret was in her late forties, so you know that's <laughs> <laughs> oh, island hardened person. Yeah, was that? <laughs> it was. It was just a weird experience. Like, yeah, don't be wrong. Like every. You're, yeah, you're totally right. Anybody's favorite wine is their favorite wine. Who cares what it is? It was just such a weird culture shock just to be like, this is something we get every day. And like, you know, you just spoil for choice in New Zealand for the wine we have on offer. and But not so much in the UK with New Zealand mm. wines, you know? Of course, you know, you get what you can take. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was just told a statistic, you know, 80% of our production of, um, uh, of wine production in New Zealand is um, Sauvignon Blanc. 80% about export is Sauvignon Blanc. I mean, I came across this statistic about five or six years ago where New Zealand makes up 1% of the total international wine market. So, you know, sad for New Zealand's huge. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, I haven't had a chance to explore. I mean, I've been to Martinborough, but I haven't yeah. had a chance to like go to, like I don't know, Hawke's Bay or Marlborough mm. yet, which I hear amazing things about. Yeah, yeah. Know. Oh, Martinborough itself is beautiful, you know? It's just a lovely little sleepy town with all these wineries just there. <laughs> Why not? You get a bike, you go from, you know, winery yeah. to winery, even into vineyard, and you're like, oh, well, what's this? Oh, it's a rosé. Yeah, yeah. Please, why not? Thank you. <laughs> kind of go about it. That's what I loved about it. At least when I was in Martinborough, dude, that's, that was my favorite thing for that day. We just, we got a couple of bikes, and we literally went from one winery to the other. Yeah. First four or five solid hours, bro. Yeah. At one point, I couldn't eat anymore. I couldn't drink anymore. I was like, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and you get like that. You get yeah. It's the one thing that's so good about Marlborough is the fact that you can just get a bike and just go on. There's like one road that's got ten different wineries on it on either side. Just bang, 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 done. It's such. But it, yeah, I mean, I love those small little sleepy winery towns. They're just such a beautiful part of New Zealand. Uh, I can't wait to get up and explore a bit more of Hawke's Bay as well, personally. <laughs> Have you thought about um exploring other aspects of? Maybe like, maybe another spirit, or maybe getting more into wines. Yeah, I mean, you, ideally, you want to keep learning. You want to keep finding the next thing that you don't know. Um, and there's there's heaps of stuff that I still don't know. I still don't understand. I still don't know as passionately as I want to want to know. Distillation, I've got a relatively okay concept about whiskey. I've got a 
pretty good concept about wine I'm learning. Wine is something that I don't really completely understand. But I'm learning, you know. I've got this a fantastic community here in Wellington. One of our wine reps is teaching me about, about wine. We went through the entire production process of how to make sav because I'm very methodical about how I've learned whiskey. Like, it was the same concept. Like, we go from how do you plant a, a vine all the way to how did it end up in the bottle. Oh, definitely. You know, yeah. and the terroir and the yeah. weather and the altitude and the wind and the it's just all these things affect oh because yeah. there's a mountain over here and the wind blows like this and yeah. you know it affects the vines over here but then we have the same vines on the other side yeah. where it's not as sunny so they you know they don't grow as juicy you know, and yeah. you're like okay and there's people that can smell a glass and be like oh yeah this is this vintage from this grape from this winery from this year Oh, and old mate was wearing a blue hat when he was picking the grapes. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it's an insane concept. Um, it's it's incredible yeah. how they. I mean, I, this is nothing new. It's been going on for hundreds of years, yeah, but it's yeah. insane how they can develop such a. I don't know, like the talent, the ability to just whiff it up, like you know. And this is maybe why it's been highly acclaimed for so long. Mm. You know, and this is. That's, I mean, wine, wine has been well-respected and well-looked upon for, I don't know, I feel, it feels like forever to me. Oh, thousands of years, yeah. Exactly, yeah. you know. And it's actually quite exciting to be able to see the cocktail community now come up, I feel, in the same breath. Like, you know, yeah. it's kind of like looked upon as like an artistry mm. and something that, you know, you want to be a cocktail, you know, bartender, if that's what you want to do. Or at least back back in the states, I feel like most people understand the the trials and tribulations of it, and they'll be mm. like, "All right, I gotta get my job as a bar back yeah, somewhere, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and work my way up and learn, mm. as opposed to just getting a job as a bartender." Yeah, I mean, yeah, the cocktail community is just insane now. I, I think about it like when I first started. I, I remember when I first started as a bartender, I was working at um. I actually come from Coffee World. Coffee was what I. Was. So you were a barista. Yeah, well, I, I started as a dishy when I was um. When I was 15, um, I, when I was at high school, I see it. I was working at a Robert Harris cafe, which is a chain, um, like mall cafe in New Zealand. Um, and I started as a dishwasher, and by the end of 17, uh, at the end of high school, when I was 17, I was, I'd learned to make coffee. I was sort of running day shifts on Saturdays, like, you know, I'd, I'd work my way up. And then, you know, when you finish high school at 17, and then uh, I remember thinking, I was watching all my friends and I was like, I don't want to just run off to university. I don't know what I want to study. So, you know, I'm just going to take my time. Skip Yeah, Yeah. So I took a gap year and I um, I kept working at Robert Harris. They didn't have full-time hours for me. So I had to um, pick up another part-time job, which was at a Video Easy. So okay. a video rental store. So it's like Bloodbuster? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah it was not... The greatest job I had in my life. Uh, yeah, access to movies. Yep, that, that part was cool, but I always did the night sessions. Um, and you have like weird guys that would spend like 45 minutes in the adult section. And you just kind of wonder <laughs> like, what's going on in there. But um, yeah, uh, anyhow. Um, I, you know, some people need time. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I ended up. Um, doing that for about the first six months of my, my gap year and I was living in Waikanae and Robert Harris was in Pararumu so they're very they're separated by a river um, but there was a restaurant down on Waikanae Beach uh, about 100 metres from my house called um, Long Beach um, 
And the guy I was working with, the Robert Harris, got poached by Long Beach. And then two months later, I also got poached by Long Beach. Long okay. Beach was a um, ca- uh, restaurant, um, cafe day, bar by night. At the time, this is going back, what, nine years ago now. Um, quite a big um, craft beer list at the time. Craft okay. beer was only just starting to come out. People are starting to accept it and kind yeah. of like wanting to understand it and dive into it a little bit. Yeah, Malt House has only been open maybe two or three, four years now. Like, you know, it was just, um, it was a growing sort of community. I mean, I remember we had Carl, who was um, the creator of Totara. It was just a regular. Like, we were buying their beers, but he was just the local brewer. Now, you know, Totara is massive. I, I remember Kieran, who's the brewer for... Um, for North End, um, I remember when, and he was the beer guy for regional. He was just one of our regulars. <laughs> yeah, you remember when these people were just kind of like that guy who would come into the bar with yeah. his bar project and stop. Yeah. I like this. This is good. Keep going. And now you're like, all right, I'll, you know what? I have a torture Hefeweizen, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I was hired for coffee, but I was very forced to uh, to learn bar. I had to learn all these craft beers. I had to learn like an A3 sheet of wines. And, um, you know, I'd only ever heard about Sauvignon Blanc. I had to like learn how to make a gin and tonic. Um, it was just <laughs> insane thing. I got, my boss found out that I had Tui in the fridge and I got almost got shot for it. Um, like in your fridge in yeah, your house? Yeah, Tui the beer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. the, the, yeah this was, this is, yeah. Uh, we worked with a very intense craft beer list at the time. Um, but one of the things I was taught was, were cocktails we had five cocktails we had to learn um and i remember learning them and you know i only ever heard about a margarita and i was like okay well this is how we make a margarita at long beach um and i remember google searching who was the best bartender in new zealand and thinking to myself and like i just find any name i was like you know i'm gonna beat that guy <laughs> that, that was true yeah i wow. said that i google searched it and there was a the name that came up was um ricky Carter. Who's Ricky Carter? Sounds like a president. Yeah, well, Ricky Carter, he now works for, who's he working for at the moment? Tickety Boom, which is a liquor distributor in New Zealand. Ricky Carter is one of the more well-known international bartenders in New Zealand. Well-known for his time representing New Zealand with Angostura okay. in the global cocktail competition um, and other different brands, competitions. The guy is just a powerhouse of spirits and booze knowledge. He's the guy behind Wellington's Highball Festival. Nice. Yeah. Anyhow, um, Fast forward a few years from Long Beach and me Google searching this um, this guy. I remember sitting, going up, you've flown up to Auckland for the Angostura National Finals, sitting in a van, driving to the venue when I actually remembered this thought. And I was like, huh. And literally sitting next to me, who was also another finalist in the competitions, fucking Ricky Carter. <laughs> and I was just like, huh. <laughs> It's, it's, yeah. it's your typical hero's journeys yeah. movie plot line, you know, like, this is the plot, alright, yeah. you know, I'm gonna jump in there, I'm gonna learn, I'm gonna beat you. Yeah, and it, it was one of the things I was thinking, I was like, oh my goodness, like, I remember Google searching Ricky, now I'm sitting next to him, having awkward banter in a van to a venue in Auckland. For a competition. Yeah, for a competition. Yes! Like, this is weird. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, Ricky Carter ended up coming second and I didn't place anywhere. I, to be honest, I was just stoked to be there. But you were there, bro. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> but it was just one of those things. I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I still remember those days at Long Beach just learning cocktails and um, 
getting to Wellington and getting exposed to what actually cocktails were, because I tell you, the way I was taught to learn a margarita was definitely not how I make a margarita. Now. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is there a vast difference, or is there like? Oh, okay. So my uh, my the first way I was taught how to make a margarita was you grabbed your Boston glass, you know, your standard pint glass, you muddled three wedges of lime, three wedges of lemon in the glass. Then you added a four second pour of tequila, which is not a thing you get in New Zealand. You never, I was first taught to pour spirits with um, counting. I was never taught using a jigger. Which is old school. Yeah, because the guy that was who owned Long Beach learned all his bartending in the States. Yeah. So this is these were his drinks that he brought back from the States. California, I think, was where he was working. And uh, we were taught, yeah, four second pour of tequila, get some ice in there, give it a little shake, um, leave all the liquid and ice and fruit in the tin, get your boston glass you're shaking with, rim the glass with salt, pour it all back in, add a bit more ice and then top it, top it up with a little bit of Grand Marnier. And that was that was what we served. I mean, Grand Marnier is nice. I would yeah. opt for Quantrell or Triple Sec. Well, a Grand Marnier is defined as the Cadillac Margarita. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, <laughs> it's a nice premium way to go about it. Yeah. So, Which is in the sugar? Yeah, there was there was no sugar. It was just and they were using lemons. Yeah, lemons, limes, and um, yeah, it cream yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, and so yeah, naturally now that I've I've learnt a bit over the years, then no, it's simplified actually. Yeah, it's margarita is quite simple. It's just you know yeah. lime juice, you know, some yeah. simple syrup, some tequila, maybe quantro or triple sec. Yeah, or, I mean, I, yeah, I, I use I use a dry curacao, which is a forty percent ABV precursor to what triple sec became. Um, so it's quite a dry finish to it. I use a lot of um, lime juice, I use tequila, and I use a little dash of agave nectar. Perfect. Just cause to brand out our lime juice and the curacao. Um, yeah, I, I normally typically serve it up, you know, in a cocktail glass with a salt rim. That's how I make margaritas um, now. Yeah, it's but, a lot <laughs> different. But it was, just, it was just hilarious because, you know, the only reason I know these things is because it, the bar community just adopted me here in Wellington and... I got taught these things, you know, I got taught by some fantastic humans and then my whole bar tending career stems off basically getting drunk on a Thursday at a um, cafe called Superfino on Cousney Street, mm. um, which is a weird story. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's, that's how, that's how hospitality works. That's how networking works. It's like you, you dive in and you, you have a space with a number of individuals that you kind of become friends and these friends eventually become your family yeah. and they're there to look out for you. Yeah. And that's the beauty about hospital, you know, whereas in, we are more than just coworkers or competitors or just happen to work in the same industry. Mm -hmm. We are a close knit family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, at some point we work for each other, we work with each other, or mm -hmm. we might just work in different places and we kind of like look out for each other. Yeah, and it was one of the first ever bar events I got put into Wellington uh, was Wester Digital's first ever Christmas function, which was huge. It was at the time it was something. What the studios? The, yeah, the their Christmas function is notorious. Um, and it was the first, I think it was the first one they ever did. Um, the, now the budget's like 3,500 people. And the, this time it was only 1,500. And it's easily the most insane function I've ever worked in my entire life. Up to date. Yeah. Yeah. And this includes all the uh, following with the digital Christmas functions. It was just, it was insane. Like they, they'd taken over St. James Theatre, they'd put this marquee up the back of St. James Theatre, and they were bringing people in. Uh, we did stuff into this marquee up the back and acting like this was the function. 
and then they'd start grabbing people and throwing them into this Dallas hallway, which was a Chinese fish market. You had all these actors like acting out this Chinese fish market. You had to walk through this hallway, going, like, "What the hell? Uh, where am I?" <laughs> and then you walk out into the actual theater, and there'd be there's so many different things going on. There's a strong man, there's a barber. The coat check was what really got me. Was there was a big backdrop of a projected. Um, underwater ocean and there were these women on rollerblades skating around and they'd take your coat and then they'd put put it on what would look like mid-air and it would just fly up because it was just being put on fish hooks and taken up and this was just the entrance <laughs> we're still not even in we're yeah. just kind of like <laughs> barely is, coming yeah um, yeah this is just the coat check like. <laughs> um, wow yeah the theme was seven deadly sins um, and I've been asked to t- get a team together to um, help set up stock in the bars. So I've been working most of the day um, uh, with the other guys from my high school that I were just conveniently around, just moving cases and cases of beers and wines around St. James Theatre. There wasn't a lift, so you had to kind of... Well, the lift was broken at the time it was. Yeah, so you yeah. had to, like, get all these... A lot of manpower. Yeah. And um, Johnny goes to me, he's like, oh, um, you can take a tour right now because... The guys weren't working the night service, but I was, and I was like, okay, cool, awesome. Um, what bar am I on tonight? He's like, oh, you're on the only cocktail bar in the entire event. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, what drinks am I making? He's like, oh, martini, Manhattan, and then Negroni. <laughs> and I was like, cool, can you just say that one more time? Martini, Manhattan, and Negroni. Uh, just one more time. Just, just sorry, he's looking at me strangely. He's like, martini. I said, yep, Manhattan. He's like, yep, cool. Negroni. I said, cool, how do you spell that last one? He's like, why? I was like, oh, no reason. I oh, don't worry. Anyhow, my two hour break. So this is before... This is before I had to go work this function, go home, power shower, um, YouTube, all three of these drinks. <laughs> no stirred. Yep, everything was stirred. We had no shakers. And, you know, I get put on this bar with one other bartender and one guy that was taking cash. The one other bartender is a guy named Ben Simpson, well-known for the um, creator of Gunpowder Rum, uh, one of the most knowledgeable bartenders I've ever met in my entire life, just has stories upon stories and stories about alcohol knowledge. It's insane. So I was putting this bar with him. The guy that was um, taking cash payments is a guy named Raz, who is part of the Drunken Octopus Club. Oh, yeah? dope. But he's one of the co-owners of Nightflower. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there were three of us in tuxedos in the Grieve room, which was a, um, a poker room, um, just making martinis, Manhattans, and the Gronies, and oh, I'm serving neat whiskey, which was Glenmorangie, Glenmorangie, if I remember correctly. That's not a bad way to go. <laughs> yeah, and that's how I learned how to make those three cocktails. On the spot. On the spot, yeah, an hour before I had to do this function, and then... Uh, see, Johnny, Johnny I caught up afterwards, Johnny's basically the whole reason I ended up as a bartender, um... And he's like, oh, how did you find that function? And I was like, good. And I was like, did you know I didn't know those drinks? God before? bless you too. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, no, I thought you did. And I was like, no. <laughs> he's like, well, you seem to pull it off right. I was like, yeah. <laughs> it was mainly Ben. <laughs> I just kind of chatted with people and had to deal with the customers ordering martinis and be like, I want it dirty, real dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. And then people coming up like shaking, not stirred, and having to politely tell the Martinez bonds. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> we don't have shakers. <laughs> well, I mean, you don't want to shake a martini or dilute it too much. Mm. 
But that's yeah. that's debatable. I don't know. To each their own. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, yeah. But just the support on that bar, like being this, being like, oh, make sure you remember the dash bitters in the Manhattan and things like that. It was just, it was a good, it was a good learning curve for me. But it was just being exposed to all those people and the staff and that would have function. Just, yeah. The community was so supportive and welcoming and just everyone's there to have a good time and work hard. And just from that, you just meet, you network, you keep going, you keep going. And then you end up as a cocktail bar manager for four years. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. I love it because it basically showcases that you, you I mean, there's no really, there's no way to skip any steps in, the, in this industry, I feel mm-hmm. like. Yeah, sometimes you're lucky enough to kind of like be hired in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And some people seize the opportunity and they learn as much as they can within the amount of time they're there. Some people, they just don't go about it like that. Some people learn through trial and error. Like yourself, in your case, you were put in situations where you didn't know what to expect. Next thing you know it, you're learning all about craft beers. You're learning about wine. You have an orthodox way of making a margarita (laughs) in your back pocket, which is dope. But it introduced you into the hospitality scene. And that more so quality than anything else. Mm. And that kind of like is what started driving your mind and kind of like that knowledge kind of started kind of like coming together yeah. and you started a library in your mind, in your head. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And this is why I'm all trying to study accounting and commercial law at Victoria University. That's why I ended up in Wellington was actually to go to university, not end up as a bartender. <laughs> but here you are, you yeah, perfect yeah, place and location. Yeah, absolutely. Did you actually end up graduating from accounting? Oh, I've got like a semester left. I just ended up doing taking on way too much and it just broke me as a human it's the hardest work I've, the hardest I've ever worked my entire life you know when you get shingles at the age of 21 from stress you think that's oh maybe I should um, tone it down a bit yeah, yeah. yeah. just chill out you know, just take it easy get a hammock uh, yeah like that one <laughs> yeah um, yeah so that, uh, that was an interesting learning curve of your um, <laughs> but it's it's, your it's crazy though it's I just, I mean, I find it completely, how do I explain it? Like, I, I love the fact that, you know, you kept growing and your your expertise and your knowledge as a bartender were so much more by chance than you actually going out there and looking for it, hmm. which I, I think it's kind of like the universe kind of trying to tell you something. Be like, <laughs> yo, Max, I mean, I, I know you're trying to do your thing with accounting and you're trying to be yeah. a corporate and stuff, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah but it was a bit like that. I mean, because, yeah, as I said, my whole bartending career in my lesson stems from this drunken night on a Thursday at a cafe in Superfina. Uh, Super <laughs> I was just a regular at the cafe, and um, Jono was the guy that co-owned it with Mojo, and Jono was the only guy that worked there. And Mojo I, is Mojo Cafe? Yeah, it's a Mo- Mojo Coffee, yeah. Um, but Superfina was this singular place. Now there's a bit of a chain. Um, but it was on Gusney Street where the barber is now. Um, really cool, jazzy, hip-hop sort of cafe. And it's just Jono, like, who'd just be singing behind the machine, just like, Kia bro. Like, when you walk through the door, lovely service, banging coffee, never fancy-looking coffee, just always tasted epic. Um, and Jono goes one day, because I got to know the guy, I'm a massive regular at Superfino. I got to know the Jono, and he says, oh, I'm going to do... Um, gonna get my liquor license so we can have a couple of beers in the afternoon I was like cool that's a great idea because at the time I was still working for Long Beach I'd moved into Wellington but Long Beach were paying for my train fare to go and work for them every weekend um, that was yeah I mean it was brutal with the hours but yeah, was, yeah I said to John I was like oh I can do um, I can help a little bit with your craft beer list I'm working on Long Beach I can give you some, some, some suggestions 
And he's like, oh yeah, uh, I've got a guy doing my wines. I was like, oh, awesome, cool. You know, fast forward maybe four or five months and um, Thomas got his liquor license and one Thursday afternoon I'd come in, got a coffee and the hairdresser from down the road had come in to see Jono and be like, I want to get some beers for my boss. Um, uh, it's just a little gift and Jono was a little busy. He's like, oh, Max was right there. You can chat to Max about the beers. And I was like, oh yeah, directed her just one or two options. And she's like, cool, I'll take that one. Yeah. She runs down the road, caffeine empties out. I decide I'll stay for a beer. Jono goes out for a cigarette. So there's just me sitting inside, Jono outside smoking. And this guy just walks in, Bearing in mind, John is the only person that works there. Walks behind the counter, grabs a glass, pours himself a glass of wine, and sits down at the table next to me. I was kind of like, "What? Who the hell is this guy?" And then like kind of rendezvous in there and just kind of do my own thing. Yeah, like just like who, yeah, who, who? I've never seen this guy before. Like John was like, "No, it's, it's alright. Oh, okay." Yeah, John comes back and gets himself a beer. The hairdresser comes back down. Four of us sit there on this Thursday just drinking. And we, you know, harassed a few people to we sit outside. We harassed a few people to come and join us. And then, you know, the following Thursday, we did it again. We just sat there on this Thursday just drinking. And then the following Thursday, we did it again. We came to, came to this thing. Like this th- little club. Yeah, Thursday club is what we called it. And Thursday club just expanded from us sitting outside of Superfino drinking and harassing people to come and join us. And it only really, like, really lasted those three or four weeks. But so many things came from it. For example, one of the women that became came to join us had her fortieth birthday at Superfina, and Thursday Club bartended it. Oh, <laughs> it was like cool little things like that. But the guy that um, the guy that sat down and poured us up a glass of wine is a guy named Johnny McKenzie, who is the the owner of Drunken Octopus. Of course, yeah, yes. and, 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 and in Cosmos, um, and at the time he was the co-owner of Hawthorne and CGR and what, what was Hoot at the time and Cuckoo. And that's how I got ended up getting thrown into these functions because he was taking care of the with it with a digital function. He went to me, Do you want to work with this? I was like, Okay. And this is getting to know him and then, then I got to know like people like Amy Alexandra, who also flies around here, a lovely, beautiful human being, and then I got to yes. meet the um the Hawthorne team and I got staff discount at Hawthorne for some bizarre reason, which was fifty percent off. So I sat at Hawthorne asking questions for basically an entire year and just drinking. Kind of like picking their brain. Yeah. And or, then, you know, enjoying some great cocktails, of course. Yeah. And I kept doing little functions for Johnny and, and his brother, Justin. And, uh, and then when that became CGR, I remember doing like some weird shifts here and there by myself. Um, I remember the fir- first um, the first solo shift I ever did at um, CGR. It was back when it was quite, super quiet. It was before the days of Soldier Caramel Rum. And Anna was like, oh yeah, I'm just going to go do some things. I'll just leave you alone. I was like, okay, are you sure? She's like, yeah. Okay, all right. Um, yeah, proceeds to make the worst cocktail I've ever made in my entire life to date. Which was, if you don't mind me asking. Oh, no, no. So she's like, oh, you've got one booking tonight. It's an eight-pack booking. And I was like, okay, cool, easy. I'll try and struggle through doing this. You know, this booking comes in. Turns out it's a divorce party. Oh. Yeah, so that was... That happened. That's a thing. That's a thing, yep. Okay. So, so that was interesting. You know, CGR back in the day stood for coffee, gin, and rum. Now stands for cocktails, gin, and rum. So they had um, they had a two group coffee machine on the um, on the bar, and I I, I had coffee. I was I had coffee down. Um, you know, this guy comes in and as part of this group and goes, "Oh, can I get a uh, espresso martini with the chili gin?" 
And I was like, oh yeah, sure. Um, was that stirred uh, or shaken? He's like, stirred? I was like, just a dry? I was like, he's like, yeah. And, and a twist? He's like, sure. Like, you just do whatever. And I was like, okay. Because bearing in mind, by this point, I'd only learned how to make a classic gin vodka martini. I'd never learned espresso martini. Fair. Um, so, yeah, I poured an espresso shot, put vermouth in this mixing glass, added Ooh. the chili gin, stirred it, and doused it with a lime twist. What does that taste like? Not good. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, that, yeah. I now have learned what an espresso martini actually is. Um, I just can't seem to fathom like the flavor profile in my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that was yeah. I remember going to the guy. I was like, "Oh, how was your martini?" He's like, "Yeah, it's all right." I was like, "Cool." <laughs> well, he had the he had a good intention with the chili gin and the coffee. Yeah, yeah. Um, he he was he was right with us. What he wanted to do, what I thought I was doing, was so far. <laughs> from what he expected yeah um, have you I mean looking back on that experience have you tried to kind of like duplicate recreate no I mean <laughs> I would never stir a hot coffee shop <laughs> with a chili gin again and then vermouth <laughs> no I mean but would you have you thought about maybe doing an espresso martini with some spice oh I mean yeah I mean We've we did have a chat about it um, when I first started at Paquito, and we um, had a we had a, a tequila espresso martini variation, and the chat got on and been like, oh, I wonder what that'd be like with a hot sauce in it. Yeah, it's good. Man, chili, coffee, tequila, works very well. Especially chocolate and chilies, yeah, yeah. kind of goes very well. Yeah, like, absolutely. That's an yeah. Interesting kind of combination. Everybody loves a little bit of spice here and there. Yeah. Even if they don't, yeah, they yeah. still do. It's yeah, just kind of exactly. like yeah. somewhere in the back of their mind, like, oh, this is good. Yeah. This is what I wanted. Yeah, except for my partner who can't handle black pepper. No, it's good. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mexico and Mexican restaurants real fun. Ah, kind of leaves you on an island on your own. Yeah. Well, I have one of everything and chips and guac. Yes, yeah, yeah, chips yeah. and guac. But even the chips will be spicy. What? <laughs> oh. <laughs> this, this happened to us once. You actually couldn't eat anything that they had. Like, seriously? Yeah. Like, well, we got several different dishes. Both were advertised as not spicy. She couldn't eat any, any of it. That's unfortunate. Yeah. So, is... yeah, for me, that's loves Mexican food. <laughs> I was just like, well, this is awkward. <laughs> wow, damn. It's so good, too. They have so much going on. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I love it. She hates coriander as well. I'm like, oh. what? Yeah. I love coriander. I love a little, like, oh. So I see when you like you get a classic taco and all you got in it it's it's your proteins of coriander and oh, yeah. that's it and hot yeah, sauce. Exactly. yeah yeah exactly. that, that's it you don't need anything else it's yeah. it's made to perfection it's like yeah. one of these things you like it can't get any better exactly I love simple food I absolutely adore simple food my also my favorite burger out of um, when this on a plate was actually Fortune Favors because it was oh the cheeseburger yeah yes the dirty cheeseburger yeah Hell and yeah. it just nailed simplicity it was. Just nailed it. And it brought me back to memories of um, growing up on Waikano Beach and the fish and chip shop there does a, they, they call it the beach burger, which is basically a meat patty, cheese, fried onions, tomato sauce, and a bun. And it's the greatest You don't need ever. anything else. Yeah, yeah. It is just so simple and I love it. Um, and it just, I remember sitting there, bitten for fortune favors and a burger and I was like, oh, I'm just 
this is this food is transporting me. You know, oh, food, and, don't, and, don't, and don't forget about the charcoal that they had it over. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, you know, yeah. it just absorbed all that flavor. Yeah. And then you go to any other restaurant, and yeah, it's like all these ingredients and these mm. complex methods and all these sauces and the way they did things. And I love it. It's creative. Yeah. It's different. It's genuine. But then you go just go back to like I just want a cheeseburger, bro. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love something. And I you don't get them like that very often. It's hard yeah, to find a burger yeah. like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but and they nailed it. Like just the barbecue and the meat, like oh, it's just oh, just wish it was summertime. And it's yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Yeah, I love that. I, I, my whole goal in life is to own a barbecue, and um, my partner and her family like went and all together and brought me a barbecue for my birthday last year. Oh, <laughs> so naturally, dream come true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've just won life now. You know, I'll probably get a year out of this and I'll, I'll probably throw it off now. Yeah, <laughs> I've achieved all I've wanted to achieve. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think, I like the, I mean, you know, you never know, man. You might just start playing around with the barbecue, using it to like, kind of like smoke ingredients and kind of use that with your cocktails. Use it as a tool. Oh, exactly, man. I, I really actually, this was a thought I was going through earlier in the week when I was entering the blend um, competition. I was like, oh, I wonder if I can get like, charcoal like burnt sausage flavor into a drink like, how would i do that how would i go about this i can't remember how i got to this conclusion is that's the drink i wanted to make i didn't end up doing it but i was like thinking i was like yeah maybe there's some way i can if i smoke a cocktail maybe there's some creative way i can reuse the wood chips i've smoked to infuse them into a bitters and do something funky like that you could well because could this- you well, I, 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 I thought about it because this is the whole chat at the moment. This is the sustainability in the bar chat. This is where the. Uh, How do you reuse certain ingredients that yeah. you use for certain cocktails as opposed to just keep wasting more? Yeah, exactly. That? Yeah, can we get more flavor out of, out of the things we're using? Can we reduce what we're throwing in the rubbish bin? Of course. And this is where uh, it's quite a, a trend now coming across cocktail bars as well is, you know, what, what can we do to change the um change the methods that we're doing behind the bar this is where like things like um fake juices and lime stock have become a thing you know bars will juice fresh lime well you don't do it in new zealand because limes are so expensive but in other parts of the world juice fresh limes you know every day for service yeah i had to to make a we used to work in a restaurant back home in puerto rico and part of the uh the prep was juicing 25 lemons and 25 limes yeah Every other day, yeah, and and this this is this is a thing that's just so it's so common around the rest of the world. Um, but the the chat came up about what's everyone doing with the husks of the limes and the lemons, and so you know now there's this whole thing where um, you know you take your lime husks, you throw them in a pot of boiling water, um, and just gently let it simmer all down, and add a bit of tartaric and citric acid, and you've got lime stock. It can be a substitute for lime juice. It's this is this is the chat. It's it's using your lime twice. Exactly, yeah. And then what do you do with the lime husks after that? Well, you can dehydrate them and use them as a garnish, or you can throw them in the compost. Or well, compost doesn't really do too well citrus, but you know, it was just it's that getting people to start to think about oh maybe there's more more things I can do with this fresh bit of product I have. Yeah, you just got to think outside the box a little bit or put a little bit more time and effort mm. work. Yeah, I mean, so that's why we put in little creative parts into the bar now. So, you know, like we'll, when we do a zest for an old-fashioned, we always tidy the zest up and then we garnish it. But what do we do with those little offcuts that we've tidied up? We keep them, we dehydrate them, and we uh, mix them with a bit of rain nephew and some cardamom and 
uh, coriander uh, and turn them into our citrus bitters. Dope. Just, yeah. It was just a way of, um, okay, well, maybe we can drop fine orange bitters now. We'll just make off-cut orange bitters. That's now our orange bitters for the bar. That's yeah. that's amazing. I, I Just listening to you, man, it's just... I love how cocktail making, which is an ongoing trend right now in the world, you know, all around, includes all these different parts of it where you're talking about, right now we're talking about sustainability and how to make the most out of your product, you know, your perishables, the things that you only utilize maybe once or twice, and then you, what can I do with this? Not only to kind of like make it more sustainable, but how could I utilize it with different products that add some more creative aspect to the experience? Yeah. But then at the same time, you're holding on to history and classic cocktail making and, you know, your certain skill set that you've learned along the way and then a vast product knowledge of all these ingredients that are behind you and just kind of coming together. And then simultaneously, you have to showcase your skill set through service. Yeah. And being chatty and, you know, talking to regulars at the bar. And it's just like kind of comes together. Yeah. And you have to kind of juggle each one accordingly. And I love it. I love how oh, you yeah. genuinely have to like think about every single detail mm. while also not thinking about it and yeah, just yeah. acting upon it. Exactly. It just, you, it's about slowly adding things into the service and the prep and all the things. But even just in the creation point, like, okay, what are we doing with our next menu? Like... How are we going to be sustainable? How are we going to reduce our waste for this? Because this is a thing in competitions now. Like I was over for the blend fight grand final a couple of years ago and you had to create two drinks. One had to be a whiskey highball variation. The signature serve had to be just a signature serve but it had to reuse a waste ingredient from the whiskey highball. So that was the whole concept of the, the finals presentation. So everybody was doing some amazing amazing stuff there's one guy that used pineapple like a hundred times ends up like making pineapple paper that was his final waste product and imprinting his drinks on the paper that's okay. dope yeah I like that yeah this guy was like next level intelligent with this sort of stuff that's the one thing that kind of led him down in his presentation is that he sounded more like he was given the lecture on the molecular level of carbonation which is fascinating to listen to but not very good at presenting it for a cocktail competition mm, yeah okay yeah. Um, but it's cool that you could not only not only do you compete and you challenge yourself creatively and sustainably, but you also take away from other competitors. Yeah. But what made that competition for me was we were all in the house like the night before and there were a few of us, including myself, because I leave things at the last minute, doing don't want to prep. And um it happens, I feel you. Yeah, I get you. Um, but you know, all of the you know, few of the like, because it's broken up into two categories: professional and apprentice. A lot of the professionals, like working through with the apprentices to make sure that they were sorted and prepped for tomorrow. Did they need help? Did they need explanations? Did they need anything? You know, it was that was amazing the thing to, to see. But even just amongst the other professional competitors, us just chatting about like, oh, what have you done? Like, what are you doing? Like, have you thought about doing this? Like, you know, and everybody just kind of looking different ways we could do stuff and changing up changing up our drinks it, it was awesome and then, so I remember thinking I was like this is hospitality at its finest yeah 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 because you, you see it not only is hospitality being showcased to the guests and individuals it's also showcased within it within itself yeah like, exactly yeah because I'm like yeah this is the side of hospital that I've always been real cautious about because I know what 
wanky bartenders can end up being like becomes more of a wanky bar fest and they often forget about customers in their own venue it's, yeah it's just one of those things where it was nice to just kind of see that everybody was so welcoming no there was no competitiveness that was just there was no ego trips yeah yeah it was just we're here to have fun we're here to chat we're here to see what everybody else is doing and learn and develop something we can take back to our customers in our own bars and our own cities yeah but it was that that was awesome but even just helping in the the apprentice the competitors their first you know big competition biggest competition that was yeah was awesome that's pretty cool I like that uh, and I like the fact like I mean there is a lot of competitions in Wellington and obviously there's a lot of international competitions that are being brought you know not only to New Zealand but to Wellington you know yeah I mean we've, we've lost a few over the years like you know the big the biggest international cocktail competition is Diageo World Class we used to have that but no longer do um, second biggest is Bacardi Legacy we used to have that but no longer do um, that's unfortunate yeah, it's just New Zealand being so far away and such a small market. Um, the importing companies, a company, it's the same company that imports both brands, and just lost the funding for it. Bit of a shame, but but this is when we I really support competitions like the Perfect Blend, which is an Australian-based competition, but now it's starting to slowly go global. Uh, I've been really a really big support because I think what they do with the competition is awesome. It was the Perfect Blend with what I was talking about. Um, the sustainability thing because part of the competition as well is you know it's not just get up and present your drinks you also have to do a risk and test and the blind tasting it's an awesome challenging part of um, competitions that aren't we're really seen so it's it kind of like it, it's a new approach mm. which is yeah, perfect exactly yeah but they're also introducing trends like you know like sustainability and we want you to think about your own trends like you know is there a trend that's coming out that we haven't heard about yet that introduced into the competition yeah it, it, it was an amazing concept um, and so, you know, I've been quite fortunate to go over twice to Australia to represent New Zealand um, in that competition and just to see the caliber of Australia and it was nice to just really understand that we're not really that far behind in fact we're not that far behind the only thing we don't get is the same amount of stock that Australia does or the volume of people yeah I mean, but it doesn't mean that the quality of the work that's being done here is any less mm-hmm. than the one made in Australia or anywhere else around the world, whether it be the U.S. or Europe or Asia. Or, yeah. You know, you come to Wellington and you not only are you trying to put your city in a map in yourself, you also try to, you know, keep up and be able to showcase to the people that live here in Wellington, hey, you're having a product that's on par with what you would have in large cities around the yeah, world. Yeah. You know, so don't feel any less mm. because you don't have access to it, you know. Yeah. Became this interesting like sort of argument that I had. Well not argument, just a little moan at the organizers for the blend because we'd go over well, actually in the first year, um, in the national finals they did the blind tasting as well and it was all bourbons and rice, but one of the bourbons was Booker's which you couldn't buy in New Zealand. Yeah, it's a Kentucky bourbon. Yeah. It's... And, yeah, another reason I picked it up is because I was lucky enough to try it two weeks beforehand. And I was going through the whiskies and I was like, oh, what the hell is that? Because, you know, it's a castrated um, bourbon. And I was like, oh, that's... Wait, hold on. Yeah, this book is like, bloody had that two weeks ago. And then I was looking around the room and I was like, there is only one other person I can see in this room that would actually pick that out. Because he'd worked in Australia for like Boilermaker, which is a you know, massive whiskey venue. And I was like, this is 
what this isn't okay <laughs> and then we go over to Australia to like represent New Zealand and like similar thing happened and I had a massive moment I was like you can't put whiskies like for example Basil Hayden's huge in Australia um, used to be non-existent in New Zealand I was like you can't put things like that in blind tasting for the Kiwis because they don't have access to yeah, it so yeah. they don't they don't really understand I mean it's 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 comes out of left field it's like mm. you know somebody hitting you with the right hook boom yeah. like whoa I, I didn't expect that yeah. it's like when would we have had the opportunity to try this whiskey yeah. and yeah. even if you did okay let's say they do have bookers behind the bar yeah. what are the odds that your manager the GM the owner whatever it is whoever's in charge well let me pour you a sample of an $18 yeah. Poor whiskey, because that's, that's how much it goes for, right? Somewhere around there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a pricey wee bottle. Yeah. But then you, then you had this chat, it's like how many bartenders know, or bartenders know, it's actually made by Jim Beam. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's an interesting wee, um, wee concept. Yeah, because Booker's is named after Booker No, which is um, the grandfather of Fred No, who's the current master disorder of Jim Beam. It's, yeah, it's like and there's a little history chat, yeah, yeah. so it's just kind of all comes around. So they have to kind of like simplify it mm. in terms of competition, just because the market that they're catering to, yeah. or the people who are competing, are not unfortunately don't have as much access to certain spirits because of the location yeah. in the world. But it was also made good as well because that second year that I went over, I ended up coming second overall. And I remember thinking to myself, it's like, yeah, cool, New Zealand can't take this competition out. We can be the Aussies. Perfect. Yeah. So the, the, like, I skipped last year, but this year I've re-entered again. I'm like, no, this year I'm going to win this grand final. Like, I'm going to take this out. When, when's the competition? Uh, everyone's just gone through submissions. Um, submissions closed on Monday night. And so they'll just pick the top six professionals, top six apprentices in each state. So um, it's each stage across Australia, and they, New Zealand's considered a state the competition. Um, and then, so that will be announced in December, and then the national finals will be held in... Um, probably February um, and then if whoever wins the national finals and a professional or an apprentice will go off to Australia or you heard it here Bali well, not, we're not supposed to know but it's actually <laughs> <laughs> um, undisclosed information yeah um, to go off to the grand final and whoever wins the grand final over both professional and apprentice um, uh, wins the overall prize which is a trip to um, Isla um, go visit the um, Scotch Whiskey Distilleries by Bean, which is Lafroy and Beaumont, and you'll probably go visit Orkintosh, which is in Glasgow. Um, and then you get to go to London Cocktail Week, and then you also get to go and work at Lioness with Ryan something or other, I can never pronounce his last name, but one of the most knowledgeable, sustainable bartenders in the world. That so, would be amazing. Yeah, it's a huge and awesome prize, and it's, yeah. But this year I just want Kiwi to win out, because I know that it's going to, it's, the bleed competition is going to both Germany and Singapore, I believe. Or oh, okay. I've been told next year, so it's been bigger and bigger. Um, so I was like, all right, we Kiwi needs to take this out before it's too big. No, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it'd be amazing to see you because you would. I mean, from what you said, the winnings would be. It would kind of like come see you go full circle. Yeah. Kind of like end up back in Isla. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. You know? yeah. <laughs> kind of yeah. like. Well, right. that's part of the reason I want to win it. Like, I want to get back to Isla. I need to be back in Isla. <laughs> I remember sitting there when I was going through Isla, I was like, I could live here. I could live here. <laughs> I should live here. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. I will live here. Yeah. I mean, you've already made most of your, you know, I, everything you've said has 
come true in one way or another. You've you've spoken it into existence. You know, so like what's what's the next step for Poquito? What's the next step for Max outside of obviously this competition? Yeah, well, I've been at Poquito for four and a bit years, turning that little bar into something special. Um, now I'm kind of wanting to see what's out there. Um, kind of going to buy my time, find the right opportunity to hopefully move on to something new and exciting. Maybe it's overseas. Maybe it's... Uh, Isla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I almost called the missus when I was on. I was like, yeah, so I'm not coming back. Um, yeah, I've just... Yeah, I'm going to work at Freud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll see you when I see you. <laughs> I mean, I don't think she'd be that disappointed if she would understand, you know. I don't know. She'd be disappointed. I just don't think she'd be very surprised. <laughs> ah, yeah. well, okay. Yeah. She's like, ah, I always knew this was coming. Yeah. I always knew there was another one. Yeah, I knew I shouldn't have let him go. <laughs> <laughs> Dope, dope, man. I really, I, I really wish you the best there, man. I really, I'm excited to see where you're going to go. Um, before I finish off, I want to ask you a question. I do this with everybody. It's kind of a random one. It's a work in progress. But if you could, if you can paint out your perfect date scenario, including, you know, obviously hospitality, you know, what's your, where would you go for pre-drinks? Where would you go for dinner? Nightcap? Tell me about it. Like, what's your favorite spots to hit? What would you drink? Where would you end up? Doesn't matter. Could be with your partner. Could be by yourself. Okay, yeah. It's like, is this, yeah, is this like just any date in general? Or is this with partner specific? Yeah, it's your date. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, when I, on the brief stint I had on Tinder, I used to take, yeah, take girls to a cocktail bar that didn't last very long because I didn't know anybody there. Oh, okay. You're <laughs> trying to be discreet. You're like, I'm, a, I'm just kind of like, yeah. Okay. But yeah, I know, the, the perfect day, I think, if it's with my beautiful woman, it doesn't matter what we do, it's just as long as we're together. So I mean, I dig fish and chips on the beach or at home, something simple. You know, if we go for a drink, we'd probably go to, this is hard in Wellington because it's, we know they're all about friends. Of course, you know, <laughs> you feel like nowhere, no matter where you go, it's, yeah. it's hard to be intimate. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it just, it just always depends on where we're going to feel most comfortable at the time. So, you know, like, I've spent years and years drinking at Hawthorne, but, you know, I sometimes I like spending like hours and hours drinking a crumpet or drinking a hanging ditch, or maybe we'll go somewhere different and we'll go and spend an entire night drinking at Havana, but... Just yeah. depends on your mood. Exactly. Depends where we go, but, yeah. yeah I guess uh, there is no perfect scenario. Yeah. But I mean, I tell you, if we went out to Waikanae Beach and got a beach burger at the Waikanae Beach Fish and Chip Shop and picked up some craft beer from Long Beach and just sat on the beach and had that, I'd be a happy, happy man. <laughs> Fuck yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. I'd be a happy man too. Fuck yeah. I don't blame you. Good for you, man. Simplicity at its best, for sure. No, absolutely, mate. Yeah. I'm not a fussy person when it comes to comes to food. I, there's things I don't like, but I just like simple. I'm happy with simple. And simple yeah. got you, man. Felix Award winner, outstanding bartender of the year. So that's something that, you know what? I'll take it, my man. Anybody out there, simplicity is the best thing you can get at. I don't yeah, know. Absolutely. For sure, man. Thank you again for nah, taking man. out of your time, nah, for being sure. here, brother. Thank you for having me. You know, me. a lot. It was good. Learning experience for me, man. And I appreciate it. Uh, this is Giovanni along with Max Roberts. Bristow. Bristow. <laughs> manager of Poquito, check it out, uh, heading you up all the way from Wellington, New Zealand. Thank you so much. Cheers, guys.